0: Chapter twenty three of Snarleyow by Frederick Marriott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In which Mr. Vanslyperken finds great cause of vexation and satisfaction. In the meanwhile Mr. Vanslyperken was anything but comfortable in his mind. That Corporal van Spitter should assert that he saw the devil at his shoulder was a matter of no small annoyance anyway. For either the devil was at his shoulder, or he was not. If he was, why then it was evident that, in consequence of his having attempted murder, and having betrayed his country for money, the devil considered him as his own. And this Mr. Vanslyperken did not approve of, for, like many others in this world, he wished to commit every crime, and go to heaven after all. Mr. Vanslyperken was superstitious and cowardly, and he did believe that such a thing was possible. And when he canvassed it in his mind, he trembled and looked over his shoulder but Corporal Van Spitter might have asserted it only to frighten him. It was possible, but here again was a difficulty. The corporal had been his faithful confidants for so long a while, and to suppose this would be to suppose that the corporal was a traitor to him, and that, upon no grounds which Vanslyperken could conjecture, he had turned false. This was impossible mr Vanslyperken would not credit it. So there he stuck, like a man between the horns of a dilemma, not knowing what to do. For mr Vanslyperken resolved, had the devil really been there, to have repented immediately, and have led a new life. But if the devil had not been there, mr Vanslyperken did not perceive any cause for such an immediate hurry. At last an idea presented itself to Mr. Vanslyperken's mind, which afforded him great comfort, which was that the corporal had suffered so much from his boat adventures, for the corporal had made the most of his sufferings, that he was a little affected in his mind, and had thought that he had seen something. "'It must have been so,' said Mr. Vanslyperken, who fortified the idea with a glass of Sheetham and then went to bed. Now it so happened that at the very time that Mr. Vanslyperken was arguing all this in his brain, Corporal Van Spitter was also cogitating how he should get out of his scrape. For the corporal, although not very bright, had much of the cunning of little minds, and he felt the necessity of lulling the suspicions of the lieutenant. To conceal his astonishment and fear at the appearance of the dog, he had libeled Mr. Vanslyperken, who would not easily forgive, and it was the corporal's interest to continue on the best terms with, and enjoy the confidence of, his superior. How was this to be got over? It took the whole of the first watch and two-thirds of the middle before the corporal, who lay in his hammock, could hit upon any plan. At last, he thought he had succeeded. At daybreak, Corporal Van Spitter entered the cabin of Mister Vanslyperken, who very coolly desired him to tell Short to get all ready for weighing at six o'clock. If you please, mine Vanslyperken, you think me mad last night, cause I see to Taffel at your shoulder, mine here Vanslyperken. I see him twice again this night on lower deck. mein God. Mynheer Vanslyperken, I say twice. Saw him again twice? replied the lieutenant. Yes, mynheer Vanslyperken, I see twice again. I see him very often since I drift in de boat. First I see him when in de boat. Since that I see him one time, two times, in de night. It's just as I thought, said Mr. Vanslyperken. He has never got over his alarm of that night very well corporal van spitter it's of no consequence i was very angry with you last night because i thought you were taking great liberties but now i see how it is you must keep yourself quiet and as soon as we arrive at portsmouth you had better lose a little blood how much mynheer van Slyperken, do you wish i should lose replied the corporal with his military salute about eight ounces corporal Yes, sir, replied the corporal, turning on his pivot and marching out of the cabin. This was a peculiarly satisfactory interview to both parties. Mr. Vanslyperken was overjoyed at the corporal's explanation, and the corporal was equally delighted at having so easily gulled his superior. The cutter weighed that morning and sailed for Portsmouth. We shall pass over the passage without any further remarks than that the corporal was reinstated into Mr Vanslyperken's good graces, that he appeared as usual to be harsh with the ship's company, and to oppress Smallbones more than ever. But this was at the particular request of the lad, who played his own part to admiration, that Mr Vanslyperken again brought up the question of flogging Jimmy Ducks but was prevented by the corporal's expressing his fears of a mutiny, and had also some secret conference with the corporal as to his desire of vengeance upon smallbones, to which Van Spitter gave a ready ear, and appeared to be equally willing with the lieutenant to bring it about. Things were in this state when the cutter arrived at Portsmouth, and, as usual, ran into the harbour. It may be supposed that Mr. Vanslyperken was in all haste to go on shore to pay his visit to his charming widow, but still there was one thing to be done first, which was to report himself to the admiral. On his arrival at the admiral's, much to his dissatisfaction, he was informed that he must hold himself ready for sailing immediately, as dispatches for the Hague were expected down on the next morning. This would give but a short time to pay his addresses, and he therefore made all haste to the widow's presence, and was most graciously received. She almost flew into his arms, upbraided him for being so long away, for not having written to her, and showed such marks of strong attachment that Vanslyperken was in ecstasies. When he told her that he expected to sail again immediately, she put her handkerchief up to her eyes and appeared to vanslyperken at least to shed a few bitter tears as soon as she was a little more composed vanslyperken produced the packet with which he was entrusted which she opened and took out two letters one for herself and the other addressed to a certain person in a house in another street this said the widow you must deliver yourself it is of consequence. I would deliver it, but if I do, I shall not be able to look after my little arrangements for dinner, for you dine with me, of course. Besides, you must be acquainted with this person one time or another, as it will be for our advantage. Our advantage! How delightful to Mr. Van Slyperken was that word! He jumped up immediately, and took his hat to execute the commission, the injunction of the widow to be soon back, hastening his departure. Vanslyperken soon arrived at the door, knocked, and was admitted. Vat you want, sir, said a venerable-looking old Jew, who opened the door to him. Is your name Lazarus? inquired the lieutenant. Vat my name? "'I have a letter for you.' "'A letter from me? "'And from where?' "'Amsterdam.' She silence,' said the Jew, "'leading the way into a small room "'and shutting the door.' "'Vanslyperken delivered the letter, "'which the Jew did not open, "'but laid on the table. "'It was from my worthy friend "'in Billenchatten. "'He is well?' "'Quite well,' replied Vanslyperken. When do you sail again, Mynheer? to-morrow morning. That is good. I have the letters already. They come down yesterday. Will you wait and take them now? Yes," replied Vanslyperken, who anticipated another rouleau of gold on his arrival at Amsterdam. And then I will give you your monish at the same time. More money," thought Vanslyperken, who replied then. With all my heart, and took a seat and took a chair, the Jew left the room and soon returned with a small yellow bag which he put into vanslyperken's hand and a large packet carefully sealed. This was of de utmost importance, said the old man, giving him the packet. You will find your munish all right, and now vas please just put your name here for I vas responsible for all de account. And the Jew laid down a receipt for vanslyperken to sign. Vanslyperken read it over. It was an acknowledgment for the sum of fifty guineas, but not specifying for what service. He did not much like to sign it, but how could he refuse? Besides, as the Jew said, it was only to prove that the money was paid. Nevertheless, he objected. Why will you not sign? You must not lose my money, and I shall lose it if you don't sign. What you fear? You not fear that we peach? That peoples pay so high they not pay for nothing. We all shall hang together if the affair be found. Hang together, thought Vanslyperken, whose fears were roused, and he turned pale. You are well paid for your services. You vas well paid at the other side of the water, you are now one of us. You cannot go back, or your life will be forfeit, I can assure you. You will sign, if you please, and you will not leave this house until you do sign, continued the Jew. You will not take our money, and then give the information, and hang us all. You will sign, if you please, sir." There was a steadiness of countenance and a firmness in the tone of the old man, which told Vanslyperken that he was not to be trifled with, and assured him that he must have help at hand if requisite. If left to himself the Jew would have been easily mastered by the lieutenant, but that such was not the case was soon proved by the old man ringing a small silver bell on the table, and shortly afterwards there was a rustling and noise, as if of several persons, heard in the passage. Vanslyperken now perceived that he was entrapped and he also felt that it was too late to retreat. Actuated by his fear of violence on the one hand, and his love of gold on the other, he consented to sign the voucher required. As soon as this was done, the old Jew was all civility. He took the paper and locked it up in a large cabinet, and then observed, It is for your own safety, sir lieutenant, that we are obliged to do this. You have nothing to fear we are too much in vaunt of good friends like you to lose them but we must be safe and sure now you are one of us you cannot tell but we can tell too we profit together and i will hope that we do run no risk to be hanged together father abraham we must not think of that but of the good cause and of the monish i am a jew and i care not whether the papist or the protestant have the best of it but I call it all de good cause because every cause is good which brings de money. So thought Vanslyperken, who was in heart a Jew. And now, sir, you will please to take great care of de packet, and deliver it to our friend at Amsterdam. And you will, of course, come to me when you return here. Vanslyperken took his leave with the packet in his pocket, not very well pleased. But as he put the packet in he felt the yellow bag, and that to a certain degree consoled him. The old Jew escorted him to the door with his little keen grey eyes fixed upon him, and Vanslyperken quailed before it, and was glad when he was once more in the street. He hastened back to the widow's house, full of thought. He certainly never had intended to have so committed himself among the partisans of the exiled king but the money had entrapped him, he had twice taken their wages, and he had now been obliged to give them security for his fidelity by enabling them to prove his guilt whenever they pleased. All this made Mr. Vanslyperken rather melancholy, but his meditations were put an end to by his arrival in the presence of the charming widow. She asked him what had passed, and he narrated it but with a little variation, for he would not tell that he had signed through a fear of violence, but at the same time he observed that he did not much like signing a receipt. But that is necessary, replied she, and besides, why not? I know you are on our side, and you will prove most valuable to us. Indeed, I believe it was your readiness to meet my wishes that made me so fond of you for I am devotedly attached to the rightful king, and I never would marry any man who would not risk his life and soul for him as you have done now. The expression life and soul made Vanslyperken shudder, and his flesh crept all over his body. Besides, continued the widow, it will be no small help to us, for the remuneration is very great. To us! thought Vanslyperken, who now thought it right to press his suit. He was listened to attentively, and at last he proposed an early day for the union. The widow blushed and turned her head away, and at last replied with a sweet smile, Well, Mr. Vanslyperken, I will neither tease you nor myself. When you come back from your next trip, I consent to be yours.' What was Vanslyperken's delight and exultation? He threw himself on his knees, promised and vowed and thanked, kissed hands, and was in such ecstasies. He could hardly imagine that his good fortune was real. A beautiful widow with a handsome fortune, how could he ever have thought of throwing himself away upon such a bunch of deformity as the Frau Vandersloosh? Poor Mr. Vanslyperken! dinner put an end to his protestations, he fared sumptuously and drank freely to please the widow. He drank death to the usurper and restoration to the King James. What a delightful evening! The widow was so amiable, so gentle, so yielding, so, 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 what with wine and love and fifty guineas in his pocket, Mr. Vanslyperken was so overcome with his feelings, that at last he felt but so, so. After a hundred times returning to kiss her dear, dear hand, and at last sealing the contract on her lips, Mr. Vanslyperken departed, full of wine and hope, two very good things to lay in a stock of. But there was something doing on board during Mr. Vanslyperken's absence. Notwithstanding Mr. Vanslyperken having ordered Moggy out of the cutter, she had taken the opportunity of his being away to go on board to her dear darling Jemmy. Dick Short did not prevent her coming on board, and he was commanding officer. So Moggy once more had her husband in her arms, but the fond pair soon retired to a quiet corner where they had a long and serious conversation. So long and so important, it would appear that they did not break off until Mr. Vanslyperken came on board, just before dark. His quick eye soon perceived that there was a petticoat at the taffrail, where they retired that they might not be overheard, and he angrily inquired who it was. His wrath was not appeased when he heard that it was Salisbury's wife, and he ordered her immediately to be put on shore and sent for Corporal Van Spitter in his cabin to know why she was on board. The corporal replied that Mr. Short had let her in, that he had wished to speak on the subject, but that Mr. Short would not speak, and then entertained his superior with a long account of mutinous expressions on the lower deck and threats of doing him, Mr. Vanslyperken, a mischief. This conversation was interrupted by a messenger coming on board with the dispatches, and an order to sail at daylight, and return immediately without waiting for any answers. The reader may wish to know the subject of the long conversation between Jemmy Ducks and his wife. It involved the following question. Moggy had become very useful to Nancy Corbett, and Nancy, whose services were required at the cave, and could not well be dispensed with had long been anxious to find someone who with the same general knowledge of parties and the same discrimination could be employed in her stead in maggie she had found the person required but maggie would not consent without her husband was of the same party and here lay the difficulty nancy had a reply which was satisfactory from sir robert Barclay, so far as this he required one or two more men, and they must be trustworthy and able to perform the duty in the boats. Jemmy was not very great at pulling, for his arms were too short as well as his legs, but he was a capital steersman. All this had been explained to Nancy, who at last consented to Jemmy being added to the crew of the smuggler, and Moggy had gone off to the cutter to persuade Jemmy to desert and to join the smugglers. Now, as to joining the smugglers, Jemmy had not the least objection. He was tired of the cutter, and being separated from his wife had been to him a source of great discontent. But, as Jemmy very truly observed, if I desert from the vessel, and am ever seen again, I am certain to be known and taken up. Therefore I will not desert. I will wait till I am paid off, unless you can procure my discharge by means of your friends. Such had been the result of the colloquy, when interrupted by the arrival of Vanslyperken, and the case thus stood, when on the next morning at daylight the cutter weighed and steered her course for the Texel. End of chapter 23. Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina.